Yo, when you said critical thought, Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5M trying to wash your mind And you know they lying Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5M trying to wash your mind And you know they lying Greetings and welcome to the Critical Thought Podcast Greetings and welcome to episode number three of the Critical Thought Podcast. So I think it's safe to say that the M5M is definitely on a mission to blame as many things as possible on climate change. Alright, so we're going to hear from Governor Jay Inslee and see what he has to say about um, climate change and uh, all the heat that we're currently facing. And by the way, whoever is writing for this guy... Yeah, they're good because they have some really good catchphrases in here. We're joined now by Washington State Governor Jay Inslee, a leading advocate for climate action. Governor, thanks for joining us. How much do you think climate change is to blame here? Well, look- All right, so he's a leading advocate for climate action. So right off the bat, we know who is paying this guy. We know where his bonuses are coming from. The climate change bomb has gone off. This is a significant time. People, pay attention. This is a new age. This is the age of consequences. Because In case you didn't know, we have now entered the age of consequences. And now the climate change bomb has gone off. The scientists are telling us that this is a new age. This is the age of consequences. Because whatever we thought of climate change last year, we now understand that the beast is at the door. We knew this beast of climate change was coming for us, but now it's pounded on the door. And I think it's interesting, the most sort of a summary of this situation... This guy just can't compare climate change to a beast like his end times. The beast is coming for us and the beast is climate change. I tell you, in a sensationalization of climate change, it's going to be the next thing. It's going to be the next reason they choose to lock us down. What the scientific community is telling us now is that the earth is screaming uh, at us. And that is the situation. Uh, I talked to a uh, leading uh, international scientist the other day who told me that we knew this was going to happen to us, but it's happening to us maybe two decades earlier than we really thought uh, could, could be in the realm oh, of Oh, really? No, no, no. You guys told us about 20 years ago that by now florida would be underwater and the beaches would be gone and that didn't happen and now you're saying it's happening two decades too soon how you figure so we have to uh, dramatically increase our efforts that is necessary now the good news there's good news here we can do this look we're electrifying our transportation fleet we're electrifying our homes this is a solvable problem but we need to stop using fossil fuels. That is the only solution to this massive uh, assault on humanity. You know, what I find interesting is that the senator suggests that the, the hope that we have is by 
um, electrifying transportation. That sounds like a good idea in theory, but how is the grid going to support that many vehicles coming online when the grid every summer have a problem with people using their ACs? Now remember, this guy's getting paid from the allegedly, I should say allegedly, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know for sure, but this guy's allegedly getting paid by the climate change, um, pro-climate change people, right, to speak on their behalf. And, um, the anchor is asking him, essentially she's asking him like, what are meaningful climate change goals? What do they look like over the course of a year or two years? And he's supposed to have the answer to what meaningful climate change goals look like over the course of a couple of years. That can be achieved. What, what at this point, you know, we heard Ginger Z talk about this. What are meaningful climate goals in, in one year, in five years, in 10 years? That can be achieved. Well, we... What are the odds that he's actually going to answer the question? You can take a short-term action. Look, we've said we're not going to be selling internal combustion cars after 2035. We're electrifying our ferries here in Washington State. We have a law that demands 100% clean energy in a, in a couple uh, decades. We're acting, and I do want to note that, that this is not just something for the federal government. States can act. Our state is acting. We have 23 states in the U.S. Climate Alliance, and this is necessary. Oh. Uh, we've had tremendous action uh, under President Biden's leadership with the Inflation Reduction Act. And unfortunately, the Republicans are trying to repeal that now. But we need to go further and faster, and states can go further and faster, and we are doing that. And again, the good news is all around my state, uh, I can't turn over a rock without seeing new jobs associated <laughs> with clean aviation fuel with new types of batteries. It's very exciting what's going on right now in inventing a new uh, economy. And we're doing that right in Washington State. People are getting great jobs because of this. So there's two parts to this story. This thing is now the age of consequences. The bomb has gone off. Uh, after that, in Canada's rambling still, but there's two things that I think he made extremely clear. And it's that um, the bomb has gone off and we are now in the age of consequences. I'm telling you, yo, whoever's writing for this guy, they, they deserve a raise. Let's, let's broaden the lens here. You heard John Kerry, the, the climate czar, say that every step forward depends not on one country acting alone, but acting all together, helping to push the rest of the world to do what we need to do to win this battle. That really isn't happening. Just look at China. Not so, yet. <laughs> But time is running out. The bomb is already here, as you said. <laughs> the bomb, they are, I mean, not so yet. So what do you do? How do, how do you bring others together? It's, it's one thing what your state is doing, what the nation is trying to do, but this is a worldwide problem. You lead. You tell your kids to lead when you send them to summer camp. Lead. Say, lead. All right. The United States should be and is a leader in this effort. Okay, we got to lead. coming along. We need to, to lead. And we okay. need to lead not just from a moral standpoint, but from our self-interest standpoint, we need to build these jobs here and build these economies here, these battery companies that are coming in throughout the Midwest. We're rebuilding the Rust Belt in the Midwest United States uh, into the, the Silicon Belt and the belt of, of new innovation. So this is a self-interest for us the, to take action. And we're certainly... The belt of new innovation. Oh, come on. you got to give his writer some props. You have to. 
Washington State. And what we're doing, we're, we're building the, you know, the, the largest fuel cell in the world, the, the powering the largest truck in the world. Governor. New kinds of batteries we have invented here. You bet. All right, Governor. Um, how are you going to convince people like me that believe that the climate change agenda is motivated only by economics? And the way we do this is vote against climate deniers. Vote against people who refuse to assist this moral and economic uh, crisis that we have. Uh, you can't wait for these folks. You just got to make sure they're not in office where they can do damage. Let them go off and play golf. We'll solve this problem. It's a solvable problem if we work together. And people are coming around to this very, very rapidly because their homes are burning down. They're choking on smoke from the Canadian fires. When Ron DeSantis wants to go swimming, he can't because the water is like a sauna, like a hot tub. Oh, do you beaches. hear that? The waters sure are boiling are in Florida. We don't have the luxury of allowing these people to uh, destroy the planet. So I want to transition from climate change into what's going on in Africa a little bit. But this clip is a good segue because in this particular clip, they try to blame a coup in a West African country, I believe it's Niger. So they try to blame the coup in Niger and climate change. But at no point during this report do they actually link climate change to this coup. President Mohamed Bazoum by his own security forces. The latest flashpoint for people here already facing threats from climate change and extremist groups. Nearly everyone here in Niger. So I'm just throwing the climate change right there real quick and that is their attempt to tie this to climate change. Millions of people don't have enough food and the terrorists here know that. They often target these vulnerable populations forcing them. Okay. Okay, I think I see where she made the connection here. The terrorists are targeting hunger people, giving them food and convincing them to fight for them. And she is saying that if it wasn't for climate change, these people would not be hungry. All right, I, I, I get it. ...to either flee their right. or join their terror groups. We traveled here with American military personnel. Captain Stephanie DeRiso is the first woman to lead a group of special operations troops focused on helping people here in Benin. You have to show the people that you care about them and that you're here for them and that their government is here for them. This 29-year-old Beninese army nurse says this outreach is working. The locals are no longer afraid of the military and they are our brothers and sisters now, she says. And somehow we're changing the negative effects of climate. Tonight, bringing together the military and civilians with the same goal. It's helping provide much-needed resources to these populations uh, in rural areas. Meanwhile, tonight, the U.S. is calling on the Presidential Guard to release the president who they are still detaining. Ah, and that's what the whole point of this news report is. Um, the coup is going on in Niger, and the uh, rebels have taken the arm um, or separatists whatever you want to call them have taken the president captive and america has some interest in this guy and wants him back <laughs> and that's really the the crux of this whole news report 
All right, so we just heard the M5M trying to convince us that um, climate change had something to do with this coup that's going on in Niger. Now, let us tie in and see what's really going on in Niger. Tonight, we're on the front lines of a growing terror. These special ops soldiers in the West African country, Niger, trained by U.S. troops, practicing door-to-door -door clearing operations, preparing for a fight against Islamic extremist groups. They fight together over the same land. It's always an Islamic extremist group when it's a group of people that are coming to fight against the power that was put in place by the Western government. Lieutenant Colonel Ian McConnell is the special ops commander in the region. One of the key lessons that we've taken from the last 20 years from the U.S. perspective is how can I partner with forces who are in a fight for their existence? Any questions? These Nigerian forces, trained by U.S. military rangers and Green Berets on finding and disarming roadside bombs, clearing houses, and firing their Kalashnikovs, and preparing for casualties. <laughs> like this medevac exercise. U.S. special operators train these Nigerian troops during the day and support their missions at night. So it sounds like America is in Niger trying to do some kind of um, either promote or stop some kind of regime change. And it would seem like they're trying to stop it because their guy is the guy that is probably being taken out of power. Against two fierce enemies. JNIM, an Al-Qaeda affiliate, and the Islamic State in the Greater Sahara, an arm of ISIS. Fighters who target the immense poverty here and the vulnerable populations. So hold on, are they saying that ISIS is now fighting Al-Qaeda? Is that what she's saying? Like, that don't sound right. U.S. special operators train these Nigerian troops during the day and support their missions at night. Against two fierce enemies. JNIM, an Al-Qaeda affiliate, and the Islamic State in the Greater Sahara, an arm of ISIS. Fighters who target mm. the immense poverty here and the vulnerable populations. And it's a fight that has hit close to home for the 1,100 U.S. troops now in Niger. In 2017, four U.S. Army Special Forces soldiers, outnumbered and outgunned, were among those killed in an ambush by ISIS fighters. It was the deadliest attack against U.S. Alright, alright, they're just gonna go on and give us some recounts of the heroic efforts that were made. But, what it sounds like to me that's going on in Niger specifically is that there's a group of people that want the president out, and they have gone to the lens to kidnap the president and Americans are coming in to train some governments or people that support the current government, their government. So they're training soldiers to go ahead and um, secure the country and then hopefully they can get the president back at some point in time. It wouldn't be completely surprising. I mean, America has been at the root of a lot of regime changes around the world. So time will tell. Alright, so let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, presidential candidate um, Bobby Kennedy. So last week I was saying that I was proposing that he could be an up a CIA plant because, you know, maybe he's gotten some information from them. They've appeased him somewhat, whatever. They've come to some agreement, but he's the guy that they selected and they're going to do their part to get him in. Now, this clip would kind of go against my suggestion that, that he's up, up because 
he's here speaking out against CIA and other three-letter organizations. But the question is, could this be misdirection? Is this guy just like, again, you know, saying the things that he needs to say to get himself in the right place? Of course, you can burn the CIA and throw them under the bridge because, it's, I mean, it's nothing really drastic that he's throwing them under the bridge about. And it also take people off of the trail of he's a CIA up. There is this network in place. I mean, Trump calls it the swamp. Others call it, you know, uh, just this, this network of establishment that is hard to get around. I've seen your comments about the CIA and the assassination of your uncle and, 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 and father that they were involved. How do you get and break this, this enormous network? Well, you have to, I mean, you have to do it agency by agency because the, the, uh, the, the fulcrum of the corruption of this corrupt uh, merger of state and corporate power is happening within the agencies. And each of those agencies have, have different issues of, of the agency cap that have, that have promoted and prompted the capture of those agencies by the industries they're supposed to regulate. With the intelligence agencies, in many of them, although not all of them, are now serving the purpose of enriching the military-industrial complex and expanding its power for some military contractors. My uncle recognized this, that the function of the CIA had devolved into providing the military-industrial complex with a constant uh, pipeline of new wars in order to enrich, enrich military contractors and expand the power of the intelligence apparatus. So he called out the CIA basically on um, enriching the military industrial complex, which is something that his um, uncle was warning about way back in the day. So nothing too outrageous, nothing that's hard to believe. Yeah, the CIA is directly linked to the military industrial complex or was directly linked to the military industrial complex. And at some point in time, the CIA maybe has broken away and separated a bit from the military-industrial complex, and now they're going to use Bobby Kennedy to slow down the MIC a little bit more. So the next thing that kind of interests me with um, Bobby K, which is kind of why I think that he could be an op, it just, it just don't make sense, you know what I mean? Like, he is out there talking about things that the Democrats would be talking about. Like, he's going to be talking about how the democratic government forced censorship of the um the social media companies leading up to the last presidential election or the one before was it the last one the last one i believe the alarming thing that's come out in judge jody's decision this is a uh, federal district judge just issued a 155 page decision forbidding the, the White House from having any contact with social media companies because it abused those that it abused those contacts so badly over the past three years. What we now know is that the, the White House had deployed an army of federal agencies, including the CIA, the FBI, the, uh, the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, the IRS, and many others, to threaten Facebook, Google, and, uh, and Twitter with withdrawing their Section 230 immunity, which is an existential threat. Those con con companies cannot exist without that immunity. And they were told that if they did not censor the president's opponents, critics of these policies, that they would lose that immunity. Unbelievable. 
And again, we have um, Bobby Kennedy at a town hall with um, Hannity. And they're talking about how he would have handled the COVID situation differently in the early stages. And again, the talking points that he's bringing up are the same kind of, the seem more right, you know, the seem more conservative, more Republican. They don't seem very democratic. What would you have done differently and when? At what point? In other words, would you have allowed the experimental vaccine to be produced? Would it be only for older people? Would you have had mask mandates? Would you have any school shutdowns? You know, and if you took those policies on, do you not run the risk if there's more human contact, a virus we didn't know a lot about early on, we still don't really even know enough as far as I'm concerned, what would you have done differently? I, I, I would have done everything differently. I mean, number one, the first specific, for the first thing that they should have done is to use, a, you know, they use the internet in many, many ways, usually to censor doctors, physicians who are trying to say, hey, you know, I'm using a treatment, a protocol that actually works. I'm using... See, again, he's mentioning the censorship of the internet during a critical phase in, um, I guess you can say the, the history of the pandemic. If at that point in time they had not censored doctors that were showing that they were using different protocol that was successful, the outcome could have potentially been different. Using therapeutics that work. Most people are silenced. We should have done the opposite. We should have used the internet that we now have this extraordinary resource to link ourselves to the 15 million frontline physicians around the world and have them report what treatments were they using, what was what working. We know now there were dozens and dozens of therapeutic drugs that were off-the-shelf drugs that obliterated. Are you talking about HCQ? Are you talking I, about ivermectin? Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, but femtidivir, many, many, many others. And then I think there's a list. Yeah. I think, I think uh, I've seen a list that Peter Corey and, and Dr. McCulloch uh, have Peter published well, a, I mean, have Peter published about, of about 20 different drugs that were just devastatingly effective against those. But the, the problem... So you see, again, like, this is why I find it kind of interesting, for lack of a better term, is because he's speaking to a lot of republican points right like these are things that the democrats are not saying so is he putting himself out there to capture republican votes that are probably kind of sick of the infighting in the republican party between trump and the santos could he capture some of those votes that are on the fringes because i don't think biden is even gonna run like something might happen to Biden, Kamala might be in place before the end of this current term. And then, I don't know, it's, it'd be interesting to see if, it'd be interesting to see if um, Bobby K continues to go down this route or if closer to the time when he's going to be really serious about his election run, if he's going to change a narrative and switch it up to be the counter Trump because right now he's kind of he's kind of aligning himself with Trump and, and um, Republican talking points so is he going to make that switch come November was not only did they not focus on those but they tried to prevent the public from getting access to them and the reason for that was because there's a little known federal law 
that says you cannot give an emergency use authorization to a vaccine if an existing therapeutic drug that has been approved for any purpose proves to be effective against the target disease. But the vaccine companies would have lost a lot of money. Like these big pharmaceutical companies would have lost a lot of money if that law was essentially known and if it was um, held up and held in place like it should have been. You know what I mean? Like if there is an alternative um, treatment that's available, then you can't pass an emergency vaccine law, which is exactly what they did, which is why they didn't want people to know that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and these other medications were actually effective treatments. So if they had admitted that hydroxychloroquine, which they knew from day one, that it worked against, uh, against COVID, they well, could they not have killed their, their 88 million Ford hospital. But after the fact, came out and said that taken early, it mitigated symptoms. That's what I took out of that. And there were other studies that followed. I never saw one on ivermectin that showed it was effective. However, monoclonal antibodies... Oh, there are thousands of them. You just have to Google. ...very well, but that was also experimental. Well, the thing is, you don't know about those studies because the press is not reporting them. But you go to Merrill Nass's website, Dr. Merrill Nass's website. These have to be the most right-leaning Democrats I've heard in a long time because he's getting a lot of support on these points. I now have one more clip on Bobby Kennedy Jr. talking about the death rates or COVID-related death rates in under-vaccinated countries. Blacks were dying in our country at a rate of 3,000 people per million population. In Haiti, which is a poor country, we were told the poor countries were going to be devastated. They had a 1%, a 1.3% vaccination rate, so almost nobody was vaccinated. And they were dying at a rate of 14 people per million population, so one two hundredth of our death rate. The same in Nigeria. The average in Africa was about 320 per million population. That's one tenth of what we had here. So it's unclear. These are all things that need to be studied. But I never believed that it was because that you know I don't think I think it's on. And I know I'm beating this Bobby K thing to death still, but it's just fascinating to me the approach that he's taking being that he's democratic you know his family is 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 speaking out against him they don't agree with what he's saying there seems to be such um such a polarizing view of this guy it makes me wonder why he's taking this angle like what is the means to the ends by being so anti-democratic in terms of your speaking points and your perspective and your views in um, the lethality of COVID be attributed to, you know, different um, yes. uh, ages of the population. Yes. I, I don't know exactly, oh, but the, yes. the average age in Haiti is probably younger yeah, than yeah. here and things like that. Yeah, the, I, yes, there are many, many other co-variables. And, and it's interesting. I mean, th these are things that should be studied. So I don't think you can make any conclusion from them. But, for example, Japan, which has the oldest population in the world, had a 
death rate about one tenth the United States. Oh, you know, these are things. NIH is a forty-two billion dollar. That's a subtle way to throw it back on the news model there because the guy was trying to say to him that, well, you know, maybe it's because Haiti has a younger population than us and that's why they weren't dying as rapidly there. And, you know, good valley because he threw it back at him. Well, Japan, look at Japan, who has a significantly older population and they weren't dying there as much as they were dying here either. So. Yeah, well, I can say this much. Um, Bobby Kennedy Jr. is definitely intriguing. I would like to see what's next and see the people that are handling him. I'd like to see what the next steps are and how they kind of plot this story out. You know what I haven't heard? Um bobby k talking about though i haven't heard him talking about the whole gender affirming care especially as it relates to children and puberty blockers and all that it'd be interesting to hear what he has to say on that but until then let's listen to this report i want to ask you uh, again on the topic related to kids there are 18 different states that have now enacted laws that restrict in some way access to gender transition care for kids. In Utah, you have said that you are just pausing access to that kind of care. You're not banning it. Do you have- Can you believe we live in a world where people have to explain themselves for wanting to ban gender affirming, a.k.a. mutilization of children? Like, we want to stop that and you have to explain yourself as to why that's a bad thing and why you would want to ban that kind of surgery. You have an end date to that pause. What specifically is the kind of data and research you need to see to say you will allow for it? Yeah, so we we don't have an end date, um, but uh, we, we, we do need more data and more information. And the legislature has been clear on that. Ultimately, the legislature would have to Well, definitely in Europe, in in the UK, they stopped doing all of this kind of manipulation and and, and um, mutilation of children. Like they've stopped that in the UK. In other countries in Europe, they have definitely started looking into the into the into the studies because they've been doing it for a longer time than it's been done in the US. I think it's really only been turned up high in the US since 2018, 2019. 
but in other countries in Europe, I believe they have at least a decade of um, science that they're now starting to look at and they're saying, yo, maybe we should hold off on this because this doesn't seem to be the best route to go. Around this, where it's not quite as charged, um, looking at, at, at Sweden and Finland and, and France and, and the UK, uh, other countries where they don't have the same culture war battles that we're having here, where it's, you know, it's either too political or say anything about it um, to, uh, to to see what they're finding out and, and they're also pushing pause I, I mean many of those countries are saying look we're this is specific part of it on both. hormone treatment puberty blockers surgery both, all, of all, all of the above and rightfully so all right so now we have an interview with a dr marcy bowers who i believe is apparently she's the first transgender person who is a doctor that is also performing transgender surgery. And she's here to convince us that it's not experimental. The mutilation of children is not experimental, even though they don't have decades and decades of studies to back up this argument. She's going to try to argue and tell us that this is not experimental stuff that's going on and there is actually a demand for the service. We're joined now by Dr. Marcy Bowers. She is a surgeon and one of the nation's leading experts on gender-affirming health care, also the president of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, which sets global standards for care for doctors in the field. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Margaret, for having me. We've, you've heard our guests talk about transgender issues in the political sense. We've now seen 21 different states pass laws restricting access. Um, and so I, I want to understand a little bit more about what that access actually looks like. You know, the governor of Utah was here and said there's an explosion in his state of interest. Are you seeing that as a doctor? Yes, I mean, there has been an increase in demand for services, but keep in mind, uh, trans identities have been with us since the antiquities. I mean, the time of the Bible and uh, oh. in literature and Hola. art history. I mean, there's examples. Of no, no, no. You need to go into the Bible and show me where in the Bible that trans people have been with us since the antiquity and the time of the Bible. Like, already you're not trustworthy. People throughout. So experts feel that the incidence has actually never changed. And, but what we are seeing is more people feeling comfortable coming out. And so that explains the rise. Oh, that explains the rise. More people are comfortable coming out now. So it's got nothing to do with chemical castration or confusing kids and propaganda on TV. Not, none of that. It's just that people are more comfortable coming out now. All right. So there's a spectrum here, though, from identity all the way to surgery. So how common is it with surgery um, for someone under the age of 18 to be able to access it? Uh, surgery really is not done uh, under the age of 18, except in severe... Lies. Lies. There's all kinds of reports of surgeries being done to children, starting them off with uh, pre pre-puberty blockers at the age of like well if it's pu pre-puberty blockers then it's got to be before puberty right so they're starting them off at age of 9 10 11 tons of reports about this so she's straight up lying your cases usually top surgery for transmasculine persons 
and even that is rare. I think the estimates are something like uh, 57 uh, surgeries under the age of 18 were done for trans individuals. Uh, so the majority of people, though, that are that do identify as TGD or transgender diverse uh, don't access. E- TGD. So there is a new acronym now: transgender diverse. Even uh, medicine or surgery. It's just a feeling of uh, maleness and femaleness that uh, that differs from their birth assigned gender. And uh, gender identity being diverse has lots of inputs, not just hormones, not just chromosomes, not assigned uh, gender, but uh, but a variety of inputs, and uh, and that reflects the uh, the the numbers. But they're they're low. Uh, and they'll always be low. The current estimates are about 0.6% of the population, which is about 1.6 million people. Uh, might be as high as 2 or 3%. Uh, but So she's, she's acknowledging the fact that the percentage of transgender people are very low, 0.6%. Uh, it'll never be much uh, more than that. Uh, the majority of people still identify and are very comfortable with their binary uh, assignments. And, uh, but this is a, a vulnerable population uh, that deserves healthcare. I love how she tried to make it seem like there's a whole lot of people out there like going out of their way to deny healthcare to these people. I don't think anybody cares, and I've said it over and over. I don't think most people care what adults are doing with their own bodies. I think where people have the issue is when those adults try to brainwash and inveigle children to think that this is normal and that they should be trying to do this as well. You know what I mean? That's where most people draw the line. So it deserves health care. There are other treatments as well, hormone therapies and the like. A lot of these laws that are recently becoming or taking hold are aimed at this young segment of the population. How much research is there into the effects of puberty blockers and hormone treatments of people in this age group? Right. Well, we have decades of... So she asked her a very specific question. She asked her specifically how much research has been done into puberty blockers being issued to a certain demographic, children, age group under 18 years old. Listen to the answer. How much research is there into the effects of puberty blockers and hormone treatments of people in this age group? Right. Well, we have decades of experience with uh, with trans treatment overall, uh, and and that trans shows treatment overall that treatment is beneficial. But in this age group, we really we've only been treating uh, with uh, hormone blockers, uh, which is the point of real controversy that uh, that people are after uh, since the late two thousands. Uh, but in that time, there has been uh, research. Has been and when she said late 2000s, she mean like 2018, 2019, maybe as far back as 2017, but it wasn't even on the radar before then. So that's how long she's talking about, five years. So they've been really doing this hormone blocking shit for five years, and she's trying to convince us that this is normal and it's not experimental. Especially from uh, groups in... Netherlands, but increasingly here as well, and experience with this, and this, the results are similar. We're seeing uh, certainly very high levels of satisfaction, improved self-esteem, reduced suicidality. Um, Bullshit. So, uh, no, and that's, that's another lie. Like, another lie. This lady can't be trusted. Like, there have been plenty of reports, again, 
in the States, because this is where a lot of this is happening right now, where these kids that have gone through this this mutilation of their their bodies and have done this um gender affirming surgery and have um taken these drugs to stop their puberty from happening 60 percent of these kids are suicidal years later so they seem similar to what we've we've already witnessed in adult populations but the controversy is that I think people feel like this number is increasing and it's going to like envelop their children and, and, uh, and spread like a contagion, which is just really no, a false narrative. No, I don't think that's what people are concerned about, that the number is going to increase and it's going to spread to their children. I think what people are concerned about is organizations like the World Economic Forum and others locally that are close to your school board pushing this agenda allowing certain books to be put in classrooms in front of developing minds i think that's what a lot of people are concerned about um you know there has been controversy regarding your particular group which set some of these parameters because they removed age guidelines from the surgery recommendations why did you take the age guidelines out so that we can operate on children. That's why we took the age guidelines out. I tell you, you know, these people are sick. Well, the point of that is that, first of all, the, the, what was uh, leaked apparently was the, the draft guidelines, which we were going to consider younger uh, age groupings. Uh, but, oh, but, oh, oh uh, it was just considering. The point is that uh, care is individualized. And so uh, age isn't really the issue. Uh, generally... Age isn't really the issue. It's not important how early we start to mutilate children. Okay, what is the issue then? It's adulthood and uh, except in severe cases. And, uh, you know, again, a draft guideline means it gets input from around the world uh, with available science. It's adulthood, but adulthood is denoted by a specific age in most cultures around the world it tends to be between 18 and 21 so what are you saying let's hear that again uh, age isn't really the issue uh, generally it's adulthood and uh, except in severe cases and uh, you know again a draft guideline means it gets input from around the world uh, with available science that that uh, provides input and consensus so this is what the WPATH standards of care are, are all about their consensus and science-based guidelines because and uh, and i want to add though that, uh, that you know some people say the science is settled i never say the science is settled i really feel like science is the science is far from settled you don't even have five good years of of scientific evidence to back up anything that you're seeing always evolving medicine is always looking for new input and new data um, but what we see is is promising, and again, this very small subset of the population uh, is is worthy of that care, and it seems to be beneficial. I think I've heard enough from Marcy Bowers. Let's uh, send her off with this last clip. One of the things that we heard on this program from the governor of Utah was that he felt that some of the organizations, like even the American Academy of Pediatrics, were too political on this issue. Um, what science are you looking at where you think the politics aren't interfering? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, uh, you know, what, what the... I don't even think she can answer that question. The politics are interfering. As far as America goes, there's really two lines or two sides, really. 
you're either democratic and you believe that this is not an issue and this should be a fair go or you're a republican and you believe that they need to put an end to this and again i don't play the political game i don't care for left or right or democrat or republican i believe all politicians just play their role uh well i mean uh you know what what the what the the uh, critics are looking for is what they call level one evidence. Now, level one evidence would require a systematic review of all uh, randomized controlled studies uh, in this area. And uh, if you look anywhere else in medicine, uh, about half of what we now accept as routine treatment in, in any field is not guided by level one evidence. Level one, take for example, uh, cancer treatment or cleft palate surgery, diabetes care, none of those have level one evidence. Uh, because uh, to do so, you would have to induce, uh, introduce a placebo, yeah. in other words, a non-treatment to that group. But can you imagine uh, offering someone who has cancer non-treatment? You're saying I mean, they're different. Okay, okay, okay. I can imagine offering someone who has cancer non-treatment, and I can see how that would be. You wouldn't be doing that person a service. Definitely not. But that's not the same as offering someone who is confused about their sexuality a one-time ticket to change in their gender and then potentially having this person suicidal two or three years down the line. I don't think that's the same thing, lady. And then to top it off, we're talking about children. They don't really have the capability mentally to make these decisions. You know what I mean? They're, they're kids. Unethical. There's a different benchmark you're saying is being applied here. Doctor, thank you for your explanations. Very well. There is a different benchmark that's being applied. It's not even in the same ballpark. And as we wind down the podcast, I like to end on a... A lighter note, so we'll get into a segment that I like to call Mental Gymnastics. Now, last week I told you guys that I found out that um, the CIA has a podcast. Guess who else has a podcast? I found out this week that your favorite organization, the World Economic Forum, Yep, the WEF has a podcast called Davos Radio. Listen to this. A pathogen known as Disease X, the virus that we don't know yet, but we do know is out there. Welcome to Radio Davos, the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might solve them. This week, the next pandemic is a matter of when, not if. So how can the world prepare for Disease X? We can actually disease gain X. a lot of knowledge ahead of time about something that doesn't exist yet. A new book called Disease Let's gain knowledge ahead of time about something that doesn't exist yet. We can actually gain a lot of knowledge ahead of time about something that doesn't exist yet. A new book called Disease X says that even though we can't avoid future novel viruses arising, we can prepare for them and prevent a global disaster on the scale of COVID-19 happening again. When all of that homework has been done, we will be possibly quite a few steps ahead of any new virus before it emerges. We're kind of almost ready for anything that these viral families can throw at us. Author Kate Kellen says that even in a geopolitically fragmented 
fragmented world, history shows we can still all work together against this common enemy. The vast majority of the smallpox eradication work was done during the Cold War. The US and Russia were pointing missiles at each other, but they were also sharing vaccines. There was this huge push to eradicate this terrible disease. Well, Russia and the US were pointing missiles at each other, but they were also sharing vaccines. Right now we're on the brink of another ongoing war between um, Russia and the Ukraine and then potentially China and the US. So, you know, maybe it's time for us to start sharing vaccines again. And in more mental gymnastics, we have a hydrogen bus facility that has caught on fire because hydrogen gas is dangerous and they don't really have a handle on it yet. But don't worry because they're going to be putting more of these buses on the road. The company's hydrogen fueling station was damaged, though the hydrogen fuel cell bus was completely burned to ashes. Luckily, no one was hurt, and the primary tanks of the actual fueling station did not catch fire thanks to safety technology. You mean the same safety technology that was supposed to stop the bus from catching fire in the first place? Janet Sanders, the marketing director for Golden Empire Transit, says more and more of their buses will be moving away from traditional fuel and use zero emission fuel, like the ones involved in the fire. The state-of-the-art fueling station opened up just seven months ago, and since they're the only hydrogen fueling station in town, there will be delays. Oh, that, that's not a voter confidence. So you have a hydrogen station that is setting buses on fire. And we're going to put more of those buses out, but we don't actually have the ability to service these buses because we can't fuel them. Mental gymnastics. Because we are the only hydrogen fueling station in Kern County, we won't be able to fuel our 10 hydrogen buses. So it could possibly um, cause some delays in our service because there will be 10 buses out of service. And in more mental gymnastics, the M5M is trying to convince us that this increase in heart attacks that has happened since people have been vaccinated for COVID is not at all attributed to the vaccinations, but it has everything to do with the climate and the rising heat. More mental gymnastics. This morning, the record-smashing heat wave is expanding. Triple-digit temperatures are possible in the plains and Midwest in the coming days, from Wichita to Minneapolis. And by week's end, temperatures near 100 for Chicago. We got smoke, we got heat, then we got storms in the forecast, all for the week ahead. Doctors warn this heat can take a toll on your heart. A new study finds the soaring temperatures combined with poor air quality can double your risk of suffering a deadly heart attack. In Arizona, it's the pavement causing a surge in patients at the Phoenix Burn Center. What? The pavement? You have to explain to me how the pavement is causing an increase in burn cases. What the hell is going on? We have just been seeing a huge spike in the number of people with contact burns. Uh, you know, most people don't realize that the pavement, concrete, cement, sidewalks, rocks, the temperature of those surfaces can get so are these people just laying down on the street just a little bit below the boiling temperature of water so it only takes a fraction of a second to get a really bad burn today phoenix is expected to see its 26th 
if these people really are laying down on the street and getting contact burns, then this is more of a case of mental retardation than mental gymnastics. I hope I, I'm not offending anybody there, but like seriously, what is going on here? consecutive day of 110 degrees or hotter it hasn't been below 90 degrees in 15 days oh my god it's summer and it hasn't been below 90 degrees in phoenix in 15 days the mayor of new york wants you to put some recognition on his name you understand you better recognize They better recognize that. And here's some more mental gymnastics and gender bending. So, cis people, I don't even know what a cis person is, but apparently cis people, they owe something to the transgender community. If you're cis, I want you to message the trans person in your life and ask them what is one thing that you can do to lighten their load this week. Whether that be grocery shopping, folding laundry, doing dishes, ask the trans people in your life if there's... <laughs> Yo, you better stop being a maid for a trans person, you understand? <laughs> you better go fold some laundry or do some dishes because trans people have a lot going on and, and they really need some help from cisgendered people. So get on it, yo, like seriously. Task or something that you can offer them help with the burden that we're carrying because we're having to deal with all of this stuff right now while having to deal life with all so the life stuff that we regularly deal with. And the regular life stuff that we deal with is life stuff and then there's transphobia and living as a trans person in the world and then there's what's going on right now which is all of that combined. And then oh. send that trans person $5 oh. so they can get themselves a treat. <laughs> and then send them $5 so that them can get themselves a treat. You say you better go and clean up that trans person's house and make them lunch and wash them dishes and then you need to pay them five dollars after all of that mental gymnastics have you ever heard of wing dysphoria well if you haven't you might be discriminating hi my name is king and i'm a non-human alternate at the id system and i'm making a discord server for people who experience wing dysphoria is of course open to systems with non-human headmates and it is also open to i think they're called wingkin Literally anybody who experiences wing dysphoria. Wing kin. Hope to see you there. <laughs> Other folks who experience wing dysphoria and who get the um, phantom wings. I know we are all familiar <laughs> with the um, feeling of needing to stretch our wings and not being able to. But is it as common of an experience to oh boy. feel like you have water on your wings? Like feel like your wings got wet and you need to like... All the time. Fluff them up and shake the water out? You know. And, and you can't and it's frustrating? You can't because you don't have wings? Maybe. Yo, Generation Z or whatever this generation is, like, I am seriously concerned for these kids. Like, I don't even know what's going on. It don't seem like they exist in reality at all. And that's where we'll wrap this week's episode of the Critical Thought Podcast. I hope you found it informative. I hope it was insightful. Join us next week for episode four. Yo. When you said critical thought, 
Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5, I'm trying to wash your mind And you know they lying Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5, I'm trying to wash your mind And you know they lying